without ado, please give Dr. Walter Martin a great big welcome. How many of you listen to the Bible Answer Man program? Welcome, faithful helpers. <laughs> Delighted to see you this evening. And uh, perhaps I can give you a little bit of a game plan for what we're planning to do uh, during the time that we have the seminar. I'm going to be speaking tonight on the rise of cultism and then tomorrow night on Jehovah's Witnesses and Jesus Christ and then on Tuesday night on the challenge of Mormonism and then on Wednesday night on the new cults uh, which are challenging the church today. Some of the old mainline cults we're familiar with but some of the newer ones not so. So we're going to be talking about those on uh, Wednesday night and probably discussing also some aspects of the New Age movement and the world of the occult. Uh, if you're expecting to have roast cultists during this period of time for the seminars, you'll be disappointed because the name of the game is evangelism, to bring people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we are urged by Scripture to put up a good fight for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. But you can win the argument with people in the cults and you can lose the soul. And we're not in the world as witnesses for Christ for the purpose of just proving that we're right. We're in the world to bring people into an encounter with him so that they might be born again. In order to do that, we have to ex exercise the fruits of the Spirit as well as the gifts of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and self-control and gentleness and goodness and faith. These are the things which we have to exercise in dealing with people who are into non-Christian cults. So our methodology is going to be simple and discuss the cults and their theology. We're not going to be attacking people. We're going to be discussing the basic theological issues that are challenging the Christian church in the cults. Then we'll have a question and answer period after that so that people have an opportunity to ask questions. I urge you to invite Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and people who are in the various cults because they're always told by their cultic system that the Christian church doesn't give any answers to questions. That when you challenge them with the opportunity to get answers to their questions, then they can't say anything anymore. Because if they don't show up, then you can say you had your chance. And if they do show up, then we have an opportunity to witness to them. So invite them. and pray that the Lord will bring us people from the cults, not only to know Christ, but also to strengthen the church so that we may have an opportunity to bear an effective witness for the Lord Jesus. That'll be our methodology, and we're going to be using the scriptures continuously. How many have your Bibles? Good thinking. Always good to have a Bible. We're going to be dealing with that. And tonight, I'd like you to open your Bibles, if you will, to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. 10th chapter, and I'd like to read a couple of verses from there. Verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not make war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but mighty, or have divine power, to the tearing down of fortresses, strongholds, 
the casting down of arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, every proud thought, and to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's very apparent from Scripture in multiple places that Christians are commanded, they are not given an option, they are commanded to tear down the fortresses of the devil, to be active against the forces of darkness. The church has fallen upon hard times today, and the symptom of these hard times is the multiplication of false cults, occultic groups, and even the penetration of corrupt doctrine within the structure of the Christian church itself. That's why it becomes so imperative that we test all things and hold fast to that which is good. And the only way that you can hang on to what's good is if you have a knowledge of the Word of God. You cannot measure experience with experience. You cannot compare experience with experience. Because the experience of a cultist may be just as valid to him as your experience with Jesus Christ is for you. Therefore, you've got to have a basic criterion for judging truth. And that truth test is what Jesus said it was. When he responded to the forces of darkness personified in Satan, he responded by saying, It is written. His appeal as the living word of God was to the written word of God. In other words, he elevated the scriptures by saying, even though I am the word of God incarnate, I am going to answer Satan exactly the way you are supposed to answer him. And he answered him as the God-man. It is written. Constantly, it is written. Now, if we're going to survive in this cosmic zoo in which we live today, then we are going to survive only by the authority of Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to get there on our experiences, on our protestations of orthodoxy, or our manifestations of gifts. We're going to survive because Scripture is the foundation on which we stand, and the Holy Spirit the interpreter of Scripture, and the power within our lives to accomplish exactly what Paul says here. The weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. Now the first thing you learn from this passage is that there's a war going on. There is a war going on. There are some Christians that act as if there was no such thing as spiritual war. They manifest a continuous flow of what can only be termed sloppy agape. And they act as if, you know, uh, we just simply must not speak out against evil. We've just got to be loving toward everybody. Well, the most loving thing that you can possibly do is to tell people the truth. Jesus Christ was love, and he told the truth. Now, the cults are growing. They're not diminishing. There are now between 34 and 50 million people on a conservative estimate who are into practicing non-Christian cultic beliefs, the older cults and the new cults. Those are not my figures. 
Those are figures gleaned from sources throughout the Christian world that have made these kind of estimates. Time magazine said a few years ago that there were at least 60 million Americans dabbling in the world of the occult. Everything from astrology, tarot cards, seances, Ouija boards, fortune telling, palm reading, all the way through to witchcraft and Satanism. So we cannot ignore the fact that evil is there. We cannot ignore the fact that evil is not passive. And make a note of this in your mind. Evil is not passive. Evil is active. It assaults Christianity. It attacks Jesus Christ. It attacks His church. And therefore, Christians are told, put on the whole armor of God. There's a war on, and you have to be equipped to deal with these things. You cannot be a passive Christian and be victorious in what Donald Barnhouse called the invisible war between Christ and Satan. You have to be an activist, and you have to speak regardless of what the cost may be. What actually is a cult? The dictionary gives you many definitions. There's about five. But I choose a functional definition that fits them across the board. A cult is a group of people polarized around someone's interpretation of the Bible. They always claim to agree with Christianity, but they always end up denying the central doctrines of the Christian faith. All cultic structures deny the doctrine of the Trinity. All of them. All cultic structures deny the eternal, unique deity of Jesus Christ, that He is the eternal God in human flesh. God the Son, second person of the Trinity. All deny this. All cults deny salvation by grace alone through the cross. All cults deny justification by faith. Now, when you run into cultic structures, you can pretty quickly identify them with those four specifics. Most all other cults deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, with the exception of the Mormon cult. And all cultic structures have twisted the scriptures so that they are capable of using proof texts from the Bible to apparently support their theology. Anybody that's ever had any encounters with Jehovah's Witnesses knows that they are expert in mangling texts. Anybody that's ever dealt with any well-informed cultist knows that you will not recognize the Bible after they get finished with it. So it behooves you to know the Scripture. Study, show thyself approved by God, a workman who doesn't need to blush with embarrassment, rightly interpreting the word of truth. The reason why so many Christians today are not active in the defense of the gospel is because they don't know anything. And after they run out of John 3.16, 5.24, Acts 16.31, some salvation texts and some texts on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're out of gas. And then their blood pressure soars to 5,000. They become frustrated and angry. And then they give their testimony to the cultist. And then the cultist gives his or her testimony right back to them. Then the Christian is even more furious because they know it's wrong, but they don't know why. And they know it's wrong, and they don't know where. 
and it's eating at them. And so they slam the door in the cultist's face or send them off to hell. <laughs> and that has become the program of the Christian church for the evangelism of the cults. You got 34 to 50 million people out there and we have degenerated into a whole nation of door slammers. Now I know from teaching over many years and I have taught many millions of people about the cults. I know that the more information Christians get, the more bold they become in standing up for the gospel. It's only lack of information that stops us. So you've got to get the information and the facts, then you won't be embarrassed. Then you won't be afraid to talk to people. Then you won't back down for fear that you won't be made to look foolish. It's when you have the information, you can give an effective testimony for Christ. The average cultist is almost in total ignorance of the Bible. Make a note of that. Almost total ignorance of the Bible. They have learned selected texts specifically dealing with their cult's theology. And they memorize those texts and they throw them at you. Once you have answered the text in its proper context, they haven't got anything else to say. And if you keep them out of their literature and insist that they use only the Bible when you are talking to them, then you have pulled the fangs of 90% of their ability to confuse you. The cults thrive on ignorance. Yours. The cults thrive on the absence of boldness. Yours. The church is strongest when the church becomes the church militant. And the only way to become the church militant, and through that the church triumphant, is by knowing the Word of God. That's why 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, put everything to the test. Test what you hear on the radio. Test what you see on television. Test what you read. Test what goes into your mind. Test what you hear in church. Many, many churches today have an invisible sign over the door. It says, check brains here. You're not supposed to think. You're supposed to go in and you're supposed to be programmed for response. You say amen at the right place, hallelujah at the right place, raise your hands at the right place, glory to God at the right place. In other words, we have turned the church into a large Pavlovian laboratory in which when the bell rings, the dog slobbers. That's not thinking. Thinking is to question. Thinking is to examine. Thinking is to test. God gave us intellectual capacities of enormous capabilities. And yet we don't use them. You use in your entire life 2% of the learning power of your brain. That's by the best scientific information now available. 2%. 98% of it you waste. Dummy. <laughs> and I'm right there with you. Because we don't develop the capabilities we have. People often say to me, you have a phenomenal memory. I do. I work hard at keeping it. As one grows older, one has to work harder at keeping it. It's a gift from God, but you have to work at it. Anybody can develop a phenomenal memory if they're willing to work at it. Because you've got the capability to absorb it. All you have to do is learn 
how to absorb it. And our problem today is in the Christian church, we haven't equipped ourselves in the Word of God. We have taken for granted the great teachings of the Bible. And when people start pressing us and pushing us and throwing heresy and false doctrines at us, we back away from it. When instead, we should get into the scriptures and get the answers and go back and give it to them. And when we do, we become stronger each time in our witness for Jesus Christ. I got into the ministry of the cults. Many people ask me this. I've been doing this for 35 years. That's a long time. How did I get into it? I was doing a term paper in college on comparative religion. And they said, pick some organization or group and do a study of them. Make a contrast with Christianity. I said, okay. I lived in Brooklyn, the land of the quick and the dead. If you're not quick, you're dead. <laughs> and uh, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society was right nearby. Oh, that was marvelous. I'd seen the Jehovah's Witnesses for years with their magazines and their little Victrolas putting them out there, playing Judge Rutherford's voice and all the rest of it. I knew all about that. I said, okay, I'll go to the Watchtower Society. I went to the Watchtower Society and I walked in. I was an A student. I was hardworking. I had an exalted opinion of my own abilities, which was immediately demolished because I ran into a well-informed Jehovah's Witness who twisted me into a pretzel in about 15 minutes. And he had my blood pressure going through the ceiling. And I was furious because I knew the stuff was wrong and I couldn't get my finger on it. And so I was saying to myself the whole time this guy was chewing up the Trinity and chewing up the deity of Christ. Now you know the answers, Walter. You know the answers. Just don't let your... your uh, Juices get in the way. Don't let your hormones get in the way. Don't get all upset. Calm down. Calm down. And I'm praying and praying for grace. And my face must have been as red as red could be. And I stood there and let this guy chew Christianity up for 25 minutes. And then I'm praying the whole time. i got to have the answers, Lord. i got to have the answers. Well, I studied. The Lord began to give me some answers. And I started to witness. Well, the more I started to witness to him and push a few buttons the more agitated he got. And I suddenly found out that this second generation Jehovah's Witness was a dummy when it came to the Bible. He really didn't know it at all. But he knew just enough to confuse the average Christian. Just enough to make it look as if you couldn't give him an answer. So I started to pray. The more I started to pray, the more I started to ask questions. And it developed into a three and a half hour session. Three and a half hours. I went through the whole Watchtower organization, came out the other side with a collection of books, and I was furious. <laughs> Absolutely livid. How could these lovely people be so twisted? The answer was, Satan, the god of this age, blinds the minds of men. Read it in your own Bible, 2 Corinthians 4.4. If our gospel be hid, it's hid to them who are lost in whom the God of this age has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the glorious light of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Satan twisted these people, blinded their minds. So I continued witnessing and witnessing and witnessing. He kept getting madder and madder and madder because I was using the scripture and he was running out of watchtower arguments. 
Finally, I looked across at him and I really took the bit in my teeth. I remember now, I knew nothing about the cults at all. Nothing. And the literature that existed on the cults at that time didn't total 400 pages in the entire Christian world. All over. No place to go to get information except Scripture and their literature. So I said, I can prove to you that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. And he said, you can't. And I said, I can. And he said, you can't. I said, all right, open your Bible. So he opened his Bible. I'll never forget it. I took him through the book of Revelation, the Alpha and the Omega texts. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And I said, who's the Alpha and the Omega? And this second generation Jehovah's Witness said, Jehovah God. I said, right. I said, now keep reading. And we kept reading on and on through the text. Finally, we ended up in the 22nd chapter of the book of Revelation. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in all the churches. And it was dead silence on the other side of the desk. Absolute silence. And that was the moment I doubled up my fist <laughs> and I smashed it down on his Bible. And I said, Alpha, Omega, Alpha, Omega, Alpha, Omega, beginning, end, beginning, end, Jehovah, God, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. And it was almost as if I were flogging him. He just, he just stood there and you could see the impact. It wasn't me. It was the impact of Holy Scripture. There was, there was no way out of it. The Bible describes the Word of God as a hammer. Isn't that right? The hammer and the anvil, whatever gets caught in between, gone. He was gone. He just didn't know it. Well, I left feeling somewhat better. As dumb as I was, I knew that I had found a way to deal with Jehovah's Witnesses, which was get him into the text and don't let go. And that's what I did. Well, you know, you say, does God really honor things like that? Do things really happen when you do something like that? Yep, God really does. I came back to collect more literature from the Watchtower a couple of weeks later. When this man saw me coming down the street, he locked the door. <laughs> he wouldn't let me in the building. From one encounter, he wouldn't let me in the building. So I had to leave and went on about my business and wrote books and all kinds of other things on the subject and really got into the cults. Well, I was preaching in California, 1973, 74. And a man stood up in a large brethren church and said, I'd like to say something in a question period if I might. I said, no, you can't say anything, you can't preach, but if you would like to ask a question, I'll answer the question. And he said, no, he says, I don't want to argue with you. He said, uh, my name is, and he gave his name, and this is my wife. These are my four children. I said, right. He says, you don't remember me. I said, no, I'm sorry. I don't remember you. I said, I meet lots of people. I said, but I don't remember you at all. He said, uh, you took a tour of the Watchtower building in 1950. <laughs> I said, right. 
He said, there was a Jehovah's Witness there trying to convert you. I said, right. He says, when you came back a couple of weeks later, he locked you out. I said, I remember you. <laughs> it was a cold day. He laughed. He says, it was me. He says, I was a stubborn Polak, second generation Jehovah's Witness. I had all the answers. I knew it all. He said, you came in there, and he says, I thought we were going to have a great time converting you. He said, but. He said, you got me into the Alpha Omega text of Revelation. And he said, I'll never forget it. He said, you double up your fist and you smashed it down on my Bible in front of me. And you looked me in the face and you said, Alpha Omega, Alpha Omega, Alpha Omega, Jesus Christ. And he said, I was in Pennsylvania two years later. And he said, I woke up in the middle of the night. And he said, I had been hearing that voice and I had been hearing that fist hitting that Bible for two years. <laughs> he said, I couldn't take it anymore. He said, I got out of bed. My wife said, what's the matter? He says, I got to pray. He said, I got out of bed and he said, I knelt, knelt down on my knees and I said, Oh, Lord Jesus I don't know how you are or who you are, but I believe you are Jehovah God. Save me. And he said, I was born again on my knees. He said, this is my wife. Second generation Jehovah's Witness. She got saved. These are my four children. They got saved. That man was William Setnar who has the largest independent ministry to Jehovah's Witnesses in the world. And through that man's ministry, thousands of Jehovah's Witnesses have come out of the watchtower into the kingdom of God. You can't get excited about something like that. There's something wrong with you. But it all began with one college kid standing in the headquarters of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society and bashing a Bible with his fist and saying, Alpha and Omega. And it rang through the Watchtower and brought many people out of it to Jesus Christ. And I didn't know anything except the basics. So you can begin with the basics. Begin where you are. I don't want you to become experts on the cults. It'll take you too long to do it. And it's a cesspool nobody in their right mind wants to swim in unless God calls you. But remember, the Scripture will give you the power, the Spirit will give you the answers, and God will give you the opportunities if you are willing to learn. I want you to become experts on the real Jesus Christ, the genuine Holy Spirit and the true Gospel. If you know that, you will be able to give to every man that asks of you an answer. A reason for the hope that lies within you with humility and reverence. If you want to be an evangelist, you've got a mission field on your doorstep you can't even begin to count. You don't even have to go to them. They are coming to you. In fact, they're looking for you. Which means that you have a great opportunity to get to them. So the kingdom of the cult is vast. 130 years ago in the United States, we didn't have a thousand cultists. Today, 34 to 50 million of them here 
and on our mission fields. Everywhere you go in the world, American exported cultism exists. We have exported our cults to other nations, ravaged mission field and country after country with our false teachings from the kingdom of the cults in our own country. There's not a place in the world you can go where the Watchtower's publications are not already there, chewing up new converts, tearing up the Christian church. You'll find Mormon missionaries peddling all over the world, walking all over the world, carrying their message of Joseph Smith's gospel. You'll find Christian science reading rooms, religious science books. You'll find all of the teachings of the Hindu-based cults. You will find Scientology. You will find Est. You will find Spiritism. You'll find the whole vast New Age movement. You will find all of this out there right now. In Brazil alone, where I visited two years ago, and where we now have a full-scale operation supplying information in Portuguese and Spanish for Latin America on the cults. Sixty million Brazilians are involved in the worship of the goddess Yamanja, Spiritism. And they worship her under the guise of the Virgin Mary because they're practicing Catholics who are worshipers of a demon goddess. Try that one on for size. The Catholic Church is in a frenzy over it in Latin America. And they can't do anything about it because it's an extension of idolatry. They're not prepared to deal with it. Jehovah's Witnesses have built a multi-million dollar center for the distribution of literature throughout all Latin America. Outside Sao Paulo, Brazil, about 75 miles away. And that city has 13 million people in it. I lectured throughout major cities in Brazil. And everywhere that I went, the kingdom of the cults was in full bloom. Spawned in America. Made in America. Exported to them. I traveled to Australia, New Zealand, the islands of the Pacific. There's no place that the kingdom of the cults has not penetrated from darkest Africa, across to Australasia, Europe, the United States. The world is the playground of the cults. And we in Christendom are the only people that have an answer that will wash. The only people that have an answer that will turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. How shall they hear without a preacher? How will they hear? unless you know enough to talk to them. How will they hear? Unless you stand up, stand up for Jesus. Instead of just talking about it, do it. You know, there is a terrible thing going on in the Christian church today which I'm constantly getting in trouble for talking about. But I figure it's worth talking about because if we don't deal with it, we are going to suffer a terminal a terminal illness from this disease. It's a disease which tells us that we must be positive and preach Jesus Christ and we must never under any circumstances resist, unmask, or speak out against evil. And it's all over the place. It's in our mass media. It's in our publications. It's in our publishing houses. It's in tape ministries. It's on television. Every place you go, there is a muzzle being slipped over the mouth of Christian apologetics, which is the defense of the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And it's dangerous. Let me illustrate how it works. 
I was invited not too long ago to visit the headquarters of a national television network owned and operated by Christians. They flew me across the country to this positively beautiful place. And I mean to tell you, they had studios, and I've been in every studio there is. I've been in the media, in CBS, NBC, ABC. I've been a consultant to two networks on the subject of the cults. I have been in all their big studios and seen all their equipment. These people had stuff that made their stuff look cheap. It was a beautiful layout. I was brought in there, and they gave me a cup of coffee and told me that I would be addressing 17 million people on that television program live, not taped, live. Well, that's very impressive, 17 million people. Fantastic, tremendous coverage. What a great opportunity. They sent me down to the makeup department. I was most appreciative of that. I need all the help I can get. <laughs> and um, as they made me up, the young gentleman who was talking with me, producer of the program, handed me a slip of paper. And he said, now, he said, just read this, Dr. Martin, before you go on. Keep it in mind throughout the program. And uh, he said, feel perfectly free to speak as the Lord leads you. I said, you can count on it. <laughs> then I opened up the paper and I read it. Notice said in this paper, all the people that come on that network get it. Try and be positive in everything that you say. Do not mention Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, or Christian science. Now, they flew an internationally recognized cult expert from California to be seen by 17 million people. But when they got him there, they told him that whatever he should do, he should not talk on the subject of his expertise because it would offend people. So I prayed about it, and... The moderator of the program came out, sat down, and shook hands. He said, now, he said, the lights will go on a minute. They had a big band there, gorgeous studio. Had to have two or three hundred people in the studio. Where they got them from, I have no idea. And then there was a, there was a guy like Ed McMahon, and he was warming everybody up and keeping everybody happy. I mean, it's the stuff I saw in showbiz for years. And here it is in this Christian studio. So I'm watching. It's very professional. It's done very well. And then the lights go up and the band rolls and the program is on the air. The only thing that was missing was, here's Wally. <laughs> that was all. And the moderator of the program said, we welcome today Dr. Walter Martin, internationally recognized authority on the cults and the occult. Dr. Martin's been doing this work for some 30 years. We had him first on our program when we first began this network. And he goes on, gives me this marvelous introduction. And he said, and he's a man not afraid to call a shovel a spade. Dr. Martin, how are things going in the kingdom of the cults? And I said, I'm not so concerned with the kingdom of the cults today. As I am with the church of Jesus Christ, I said there's evil in the church close to the altar of God and we must deal with it. He said, no. <laughs> I said, yes, and if I had a couple of minutes, I'd tell you all about it. That was his mistake. He said, go right ahead. 
I said there are people today who are trying to take away our rights of free speech under the First Amendment of the Constitution. And they are not evolutionists. They are not secular humanists. They are not cultists. They're not liberal theologians. They're fundamental evangelical charismatic Christians. No. I said yes. And they hand you slips of paper like this that say, don't mention Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and Christian science. I wish I had a Polaroid camera. I'd have won every magazine award in the world. His face was a study in absolute paralysis. And I said, it's not only wrong, it's evil. It's adopting the Jesuit philosophy. The end justifies the means. Let us do evil that good may come. I said, but we should speak out against evil. That's what the scripture says. Put on the whole armor of God. Stand against the methods of the devil. And I said, I'll prove it to you. It's biblical. He said, go ahead. <laughs> Wasn't much else he could say. I said, it's the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come upon the church. 3,000 people have been saved. There are spiritual gifts all over the place. And now they've come back to the upper room and Peter is talking to the brethren. And he says, 3,000 people have been saved. The Holy Spirit is moving into the life of the church. The promise of the Father is here. We're going to go out and carry the gospel, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Amen. Amen. Everybody shouts amen. And then Peter says, however, when you get out there, be sure you don't say anything to offend the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, or the Herodians because then they wouldn't come to church and get saved. And they wouldn't listen to our uh, broadcasts and contribute their money. So we must not offend them. And he looked at me for a long moment and he said, I see what you mean. I said, good. Now let's talk about the cults. And we had a marvelous time. I think I've only been back twice since then. I understand from others that know him that I am very dangerous to get on a live television program because you never know what he's going to say. That's the way the truth ought to be. It ought to be volatile. You ought to shake people up. And we're not doing that anymore. We give them soft lights, soft music, and even softer sermons. And we can't understand why God doesn't revive the church. He's not going to revive the church until the church repents. Until the church stops caring what the Masons and the Oddfellows and the Elks and the Kiwanis and the Rotary and the denominations and the Evangelical Councils think about it. Instead, then they should do what Jesus Christ said. Speak the truth. Until the church stops worrying about that and starts worrying about what Jesus thinks. You're not going to get revival. You want revival, you want growth, you want power from God, obey. Obedience is better than sacrifice. People say, oh, but people will get mad at us. Poor baby. Imagine that. Somebody might not like you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. They abused Jesus Christ. They spat on him. They cursed him. They persecuted him. They called him demon-possessed, and they killed him. And you want out? Nothing's ever going to happen to you? You're going to sail through life like a ping-pong ball over Niagara Falls? No matter what happens, you're always going to pop up there? No way. Prophet is not without honor, except in his own country and among his own people. 
It's time we stop worrying about what people thought and start telling it like it is once more. And if we do, God will send revival to the church. If we stand up for the gospel, God will bless us because it's a command. We're supposed to do it. I was asked to appear on another television network that will remain nameless for the sake of public relations. And um, I appeared in this program and I got a grand introduction. We had a wonderful conversation for about 10 or 15 minutes. And then the co-hostess, a lady on the program, said, Dr. Martin, she always smiles. I think she has paralysis of the mouth. Dr. Martin, we love your ministry. I said, well, thank you, dear. She said, but I have one criticism. I said, what is that? She said, you're not very loving. I said, really? Why am I not very loving? She said, because you criticize other people's beliefs. I said, that's not loving. She said, no. So I looked at my watch. I said, if you will give me two minutes, I will prove to you that I'm loving, that everything I say is true in relation to the cults. She said, go ahead. <laughs> I said, who was the most loving person that ever lived? She says, that's easy. Jesus. <laughs> I said, Jesus was the incarnate love, right? Right. Nobody could be more loving than Jesus. No. Nobody could be as loving as Jesus, could they? No. Only Jesus, right? Right. I said, I want you to listen carefully to the words of incarnate love when incarnate love encountered evil. Ready? You generation of slimy snakes who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. You whitewashed sepulchers filled with rotting corpses. You invisible graves that men fall over. You are of your father the devil and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning and he abode not in the truth. I am from above, you are from beneath. You will seek for me but you will not find me. You will die in your sins where I am going. You cannot come. Leave me into everlasting fire. It was dead silence in that studio. <laughs> this lady looked at me I kid you not. And she said, Couldn't you smile when you say that? <laughs> ah! This is the kind of airhead that dominates the Christian media. These are the people that have control over our theology. These are the people that are teaching on charismatic networks that Jesus died, went to hell, had to get born again, suffered under Satan, was punished in hell for our sins, came back from the dead, was born again, and they teach the doctrine of the born-again Jesus, which is heretical theology. These are the people who are teaching that Dogs beget dogs and cats beget cats and God begets gods. And we are all little gods. I've got that on cassette on Christian television. 
the doctrine of the demons that Scripture warns us against. And you know what scared me? When I heard that, the president of the network was sitting there saying, Amen, it's in the Word. What's in the Word? Dogs beget dogs and cats begets cats and God begets gods. That's in the Word. What Word are we talking about? It's not this Word. You see, what we're facing today is something you better wake up to. If they can muzzle Walter Martin today, it's you tomorrow, baby. Just remember that. If it's me today, or Tony Campolo, or somebody else, then it's you tomorrow. It only takes a little bit of time. Remember the words of Martin Niemöller, the great German pastor who suffered under Adolf Hitler. When he confessed his sin publicly after the war, after he got out of a concentration camp, a skeleton, Niemöller said, I learned the lesson of Christianity a hard, the hard way. He said, when the Nazis came for the communists, I didn't get involved because they weren't coming for me. He said, when the Nazis came for the Jews, I didn't get involved because they weren't coming for me. He said, suddenly, they were coming for me and there was nobody else around I could turn to and then I had to stand against it alone. We don't have to stand alone. We can stand together. But we must speak in the body of Christ. We must not tolerate false doctrine on our television sets or over our radios. We must not support those things. We must speak out against them because they are every bit as cultic as Jehovah's Witnesses. Every bit as cultic as Mormonism. And yet it's more dangerous because it's inside the church. Not outside. Inside. These are doctrines. I could spew doctrines out to you tonight that come over Christian television you wouldn't believe. Which passes for Christian theology. We have a whole host of evangelists on national television who ought to stick to being evangelists and stop trying to be theologians because they are confusing the body of Christ. How can you possibly refute the cults if you won't take a stand? How can you possibly speak against evil and be triumphant if you won't obey Scripture? Look at Paul's words. They're the strongest words you could possibly imagine. Put on the whole armor of God. Stand against the methods of the devil. His words ring down the ages to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, telling us these things. The weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but have divine power to tear down the fortresses of Satan, to cast down every proud thought and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It is not unloving to tell the truth. It is the most loving thing in the world to tell the truth. Because people are going to hell when you don't tell them the truth. And that's what's so terrible. There's nothing wrong with thinking positively. But when you think that positive thinking is all there is, that's when you are in error. Because the gospel is both positive and negative. It's positive, preach the word. It's negative, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all patience and teaching. There's two sides to the coin. 
You can be loving doing both of them. You can love and preach the gospel, and you can love and defend the gospel. But don't back down because people tell you you're unloving or you're divisive because you speak the truth. Let me tell you something. If you go out and tell people Jesus loves you, died for your sins, give them the four spiritual laws, God has a marvelous plan for your life, give them a positive presentation of the gospel, you'll be surprised how many people will put up with you, tolerate you, and think of you as a well-meaning, kooky, charismatic, or fuzzy fundamentalist, a well-meaning nut. And they'll just let you pass by. But if, after you give them the gospel, you tell them the truth in completeness, something happens. If you say to them, you know, I want you to know how much Jesus Christ loves you. He died for your sins. But you know, to turn away from Jesus Christ is to pay a price for all eternity. You will lose your soul if you are not born again. All of a sudden, that person who tolerated you ten minutes before is looking for a cross to nail you to. Am I right? Yes! The minute you tell the whole counsel of God, they look for you. Then you become unloving. Then you become divisive. Not true. Jesus Christ was the most divisive man that ever lived. He was. He said, I didn't come to send peace, but a sword to divide people. And he divides them by reconciliation. You say, how does that work? Easy. God loved the world and sent his son to save it. He would reconcile us to himself by the blood of the cross. Jesus Christ reconciles us to God and God to us by his sacrifice on the cross. But by doing that, he divides. He divides us from our culture. He divides us from our relatives. He divides us from our children. He divides us from our friends. He divides us from everything because allegiance to him is everything. And the moment you accept him, your allegiance is to Christ above everything else. That is divisive. That divides people. That separates the men from the boys. That's what Christ was talking about. He is the divisive reconciler. He brings us to the cross. He divides us from the world and from everything else so that we will be able to serve him. Christians must wake up to the fact that the cults are not going away. Do not stick your head in the sand and think that by simply handing out tracts, saying hallelujah, amen, praise the Lord, and exercising spiritual gifts, and by witnessing to people positively that you are going to stem the tide of evil because you're not. There's only one way it's ever stemmed. You put on the whole armor of God and you stand against it. And when you stand against it, God gives you a promise. Ready for the promise? Here it is. Resist the devil and he will... I didn't hear that. Oh, what will happen when you resist? He will flee. Now, what will happen if you roll over and play dead? He's going to have you for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So it's necessary 
to stand. That's why Jude verse 3 is in Scripture. It has a twofold meaning. When I wrote to you brothers concerning the common salvation, that's the gospel, it was necessary for me to urge you, put up a good fight for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. Fight for the faith, not with carnal weapons. We're not fighting people. We're, we're not fighting flesh and blood. We're fighting the rulers of the spiritual darkness of this age against wickedness in the heavenly places. We're fighting the realms of darkness. What better way to fight than standing on the Word of God, clothed with the armor of God, filled with the Holy Spirit? That is the only way that we can wage spiritual warfare. Let's face it. All of us were born in conflict. When we were born again as Christians, we were in conflict against our carnal nature and in conflict against the world in which we previously lived. If you don't know that, you're not a very mature Christian. You were born in conflict. And every day of your life is spent in conflict. Because the scripture says, put to death, therefore, those appetites of your body. And if you don't put them to death and if you don't fight them every day of your life, then the flesh does what? controls the spirit. You have to fight. So you're born in conflict and you live in conflict. Many of us may very well die in conflict, earthly as well as spiritual. But our whole lifelong activity is one of conflict. Jesus Christ was the ultimate man of conflict. He entered the world and summoned people to stand against the powers of Satan. He did. He said, you can't enter a strong man's house unless you do what? Bind him. Jesus entered Satan's world. Satan dominated it, and Jesus bound him. He gave us power over the demons. He gave us authority to be the sons of God. And he gave us the tools to do the job with. Turn off Dynasty and Dallas and John's other wife's other John and turn on to the Word of God. And if we do, God will turn our world upside down. The Lord Jesus spoke out against evil, but He spoke as incarnate love. Paul spoke out against evil, and he even named names. Events, circumstances. Today, if you mention anybody's name, people shake their head as if it's a terrible sin. I mentioned the fact that Robert Schuller was conducting seminars for the Unity School of Christianity to teach them how to raise funds to build more Unity churches. The Unity School of Christianity denies the Trinity, the deity of Christ, the blood of the cross, the resurrection, and the second coming, and teaches that salvation comes by what? Reincarnation. And Schuller is out there conducting seminars for them. I mentioned that in Michigan. Good grief, you'd thought that I had assaulted the throne of Jehovah. People said, how could you say things like that? It's easy. Christian ministers do not spend their time promoting the devil. That's all there is to it. I did a cassette on the cult of self-esteem, Robert Schuller's theology. 
And I have a very large tape ministry, as many of you know. I sell an awful lot of tapes for the publishers. And I gave them the cassette for Robert Schuller's cult. Well, I didn't hear from my publisher for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Usually they're on my back every minute for a tape. So I called and I said, uh, how's the tape, The Cult of Self-Esteem, coming? And they said, well, we, uh, we're having a little problem. Would you mind if we took Dr. Schuler's name off the tape? I said, fine. Call it The Cult of Self-Esteem. Good. Another three weeks went by. I didn't hear from them. I called up again. What's going with the tape? Well, um, we, we do have a problem here. I'll save you a lot of time. They didn't do the tape. Three months later, I found out why. They printed the Sunday school literature for Robert Schuller's Crystal Cathedral. And they were told that if they printed my tape, that would be the end of their business account. So, to save their business account, they suppressed what they knew was the truth. Not to worry, it's out. <laughs> All my books and tapes were removed from Dr. Schuler's bookstore as a result of the fact that I criticized his theology. Anybody that teaches that Jesus Christ was on an ego trip because he thought he was God should be criticized publicly. And I intend to go right on doing it because the scripture says so. People say, why do you name names? Because Scripture does. Paul said, Alexander the coppersmith hath done me much harm. May the Lord reward him according to his works. <laughs> Hymenaeus and Philetus have erred concerning the truth. They are teaching the resurrection has already passed, and they are overturning the faith of some. Hymenaeus and Philetus have erred. I have delivered them to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Mark has abandoned me. Are those names? Proper names? Yes. Did Paul name them? Yes. Why? Because it is not wrong to point the finger at evil and to deal with it. Norman Vincent Peale, the apostle of positive thinking, goes to Utah and calls the late Spencer Kimball on national television a living prophet and the Mormon church a great spiritual institution. The Mormon church denies the Trinity, the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, teaches that Jesus was the spirit brother of Lucifer, and that you may become a god. And Norman Vincent Peale says, he is a great spiritual prophet, and this is a great Christian church. I wrote him before he went there. I sent him a copy of my book, The Maze of Mormonism. I told him exactly what the Mormons believe, and I said, they'll use you. Don't go there. He went and they used him. And Roy Rogers went and Dale Evans and they strummed their guitars and sang for Kimball's birthday. Doesn't this ring a little bit hollow to be up one week singing hymns and praising God and the week after that to be promoting Mormonism? Doesn't that stick in anybody's mind at all? How is it you can turn on Christian television programs and you'll get D. James Kennedy preaching the gospel with force? And 15 minutes later, 
you'll get dogs beget dogs and cats beget cats. Do you know why? Because the inmates are in control of the asylum. That's why. And we're in trouble. Now I'm going to tell you how to cure this problem. You ready? This is called the Martin Prescription. Dr. Martin Prescription for Curing Christian Media. Ready? Write a letter to Christian television stations. I'll be happy to supply the names for you. And say, as soon as you stop teaching that men can become gods, as soon as you stop teaching that Jesus died and suffered in hell for our sins and had to get born again, and as soon as you stop teaching these and other heresies, I will start sending you money again. Until then, take my name off your mailing list. They will not listen to the Holy Spirit and they will not listen to the Bible, but I guarantee you they will listen to the gospel of the checkbook. <laughs> guarantee. And that is the only way you can get their attention. I suggest you get their attention as rapidly as possible because we are in real trouble. Do you know right now that it's almost impossible to get on CBN, PTL, TBN, or any major Christian program and deal with the problem of the cults? Did you know that? That it's almost impossible to get on and criticize homosexuality in depth and really crusade against the cults that are in the church? You can't do it. Impossible. There is a cone of silence over the Christian networks. In California, they had a panel to discuss homosexuality and by the time they got finished you could pay your nickel and take your choice. Nobody would speak out against the homosexual bill that was up in the state house. Only Governor Duke Machen had the guts to speak out against it and stop it. Otherwise we would have had nothing but problems in California. This is going on all around us. Something's fundamentally wrong. What is it? We are not obeying Scripture. We are looking at people. We're looking at leadership. Listen. And if somebody sends you a handprint in the mail and a vial of sanctified oil from the Holy Land and tells you if you put your paw on his paw that somehow or other the Holy Spirit's going to do something for you that he won't do here in this church service when you get anointed with oil, you ought to know something's wrong. And when you get on Christian television 70% of your time taken up pleading for money, you ought to know something's wrong. Why am I concerned? Because we're developing cults within the Christian church right now. And they're more deadly than the cults outside because they're inside. And the people, the sheep, are listening to them. On one of my tapes, I mentioned the fact that in Matthew chapter 7, the Lord Jesus warning against the false prophets, said this, Beware of the false prophets who come to you dressed as sheep, inwardly, spiritually. They are savage wolves. You will know them by what they produce. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out demons in thy name? Have we not worked miracles in thy name? Think about that for a second. Think about it. They can call him Lord. They can cast devils out in his name. They can work miracles in his name. Healing in his name. Right? 
They can preach and prophesy in His name. Jesus said, when I meet you, I will say, I never knew you. Leave me, workers of iniquity. Why? Because the power was in Jesus' name and they manipulated the name of Jesus to build their own kingdoms. Jesus said, I never knew you. Leave me. Does it ever strike you significantly that when the Lord talked to the church, He calls us sheep? He didn't say to Peter, feed my dolphins. Take care of my cattle. Herd my horses. Ah, uh -uh. He said, feed my sheep. Three times. Why? Why did He call us sheep? Because sheep are the dumbest critters in creation. They're dumber than horses, and they're dumber than dolphins, and they're dumber than cows. They're just plain dumb. God showed me how dumb they were. I used to take care of a little flock of sheep during the summertime, in the days before I was a Christian. And I can remember watching that flock of sheep, and all of a sudden a ram would stick his head up in the flock and he'd go, <laughs> Boy, the minute I heard that, I was up on my feet and the dog was already running. We knew it was going to happen. Within microseconds, the flock would all look over at the ram and they would go, <laughs> and the ram would take off. And the whole flock would just wheel right around like this and boom, off they go. No rhyme, no logic, no reason, nothing. Just, and they're gone. And I chased those critters over a hill, over dale. I hit the dusty trail. And you'd chase them all the way back into the back meadows. And the cotton-picking things you can't believe is you've got to be there to see it. That ram runs straight head-on into the barbed wire. Head-on. You don't even look. Boom. Into the barbed wire. And the rest of the sheep, you think they're running behind him and say, Oh, look at that. He ran into the barbed wire. Let's put on the brakes. Uh-uh. Boom. Right into the barbed wire. And you go down there on a blistering hot day. And there's 40 or 50 of these critters. And they're stuck in a barbed wire and it's scratching them and you're pulling them out and it's scratching you. And when you're pulling them out, they're tromping on your feet. I tell you, I wasn't a Christian in those days and where I spat, the grass will never grow green again. <laughs> Finally, when you get all finished and you pull them all out, you get that ram that led them all there to begin with and he looks at you with these big, soulful eyes and he goes, Bleh. You give him a kick in his ram's tail. Send him on his way. And you know it's going to happen all over again. Another couple of hours, another day. And they're off again. See? You know why God calls us sheep? Because in the history of the church, we are ram followers, not Christ followers. And a ram sticks his head up. Charles Russell. And they're off after the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's Mary Baker Eddy. And they're off after Mary Baker Eddy all over the place. That's why sheep need shepherds. That's why sheep need to be taught and fed and tended and occasionally whacked benevolently and lovingly with the bishop prick of the shepherd because sheep don't think too well. 
Now I realize in Calvary Chapel, you don't have those kind of problems. Present company accepted. But the church suffers from the disease. And the disease we're suffering from is non-rockabotus. Non-rockabotus ecclesiasticus. By its Latin name. Don't rock the boat. Well, I want you to know, I don't want to rock this kind of a boat. I want to sink it. Because that's the only way we're going to survive. Finally, having alienated almost everybody, let me return to the grand theme of my lecture. The kingdom of the cults is a powerful challenge to the Christian church. But if the church doesn't get its act together, it can hardly handle itself, never mind the cults. Therefore, it's necessary for you here in Albuquerque to begin where you are. Your responsibility is not Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Your responsibility is not the Alcas, the Aborigines, the Zulus, and the Ubangis. Your responsibility are the Alcas, the Aborigines, and the Zulus, and the Ubangis that are knocking on your door. They're just as lost. Only they're known as Jehovah's Witnesses, and Mormons, and Moonies, and Krishnas. They're souls for whom Jesus Christ died, and we've got to love them for Christ's sake. We've got to care for them. Other sheep I have that are not of this fold. Them I must also bring. That's our responsibility. Yours is the person who needs the gospel, whatever they may be doing. Learn something. You are going to get persecuted. You are going to have nasty things said about you. You are going to have problems. You will have conflicts. Jesus said so. In the world, you will have tribulation. Cheer up. I have conquered the world. That's our victory. He conquered the world. So when somebody gets nasty, angry, when somebody becomes confrontational, almost paranoid, and goes after you, remember, that's an occupational hazard that every Christian that's doing God's work has to accept. Learn this principle. You must be willing to be hated, despised, rejected, and persecuted by the very people that you are attempting to bring to Jesus Christ. It's because they're in darkness that they can't see. A blind man can't understand when you try and help him. If he doesn't know you, if the sounds are unfamiliar, he panics. He may strike you, curse you. But you can excuse it because the blind man acts out of the blindness and he doesn't understand. He obtains mercy because he does it in ignorance. Do you remember what you were like before you knew Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you remember the kind of life you had? Do you remember how difficult it was for you to understand the gospel? Christians were crazy. But when the glorious light of the gospel of Christ who is God's image shone into your heart and into my heart, God dropped the scales from our eyes and we could see Him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write. And we found Him 
And we passed out of death to life and from the power of Satan to God. Have compassion on these people. They are now as we once were. And they desperately need Jesus Christ. We are the light of the world, not Jesus. Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. Now I am no longer in the world. You are the light of the world. Got it? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. God has put the ball in our court. We have to do the job of witnessing. Now I have some marvelous news for you. Make you very happy. God is not holding you responsible for convincing cultists about Christianity. The salvation of the world does not depend upon your capacities to convince. Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, when He comes, He will convince the world of what? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Isn't that good news? You don't have to do it. Your job is plant the seed, water it with prayer, stand up for the gospel, put on the whole armor of God, become the church militant, and then you will become the church triumphant. Not long ago, I was in a church and had a large audience and people were really with me. I could tell from the meeting that they were really behind what I was saying. You get that feeling if you've lectured and taught enough. And I said in a moment of great joy at the end of the lecture, let's all join together and sing that great old hymn of the church, Onward Christian Soldiers. And the pastor said, Amen! and dug out his hymn book. And they had taken onward Christian soldiers out of the hymn book because his denominational committee on church music felt that it would be offensive to people to sing about being a soldier. And he was so red-faced and upset. And he said, uh, we, we don't have the hymn, Dr. Martin. He said, would you have another one? I said, yes. How about the Son of God goes forth to war, a kingly crown to gain. His blood-red banners stream afar. Who follows in his train? And that was gone. I said, well, let's try a third time. How about who's on the Lord's side? Surely they can't object to that. And that was there. We stood together and sang, Who is on the Lord's side? Who is on the Lord's side? Who will face the foe? Who will be his helpers? Who will go for Christ? That's it. And that's the whole history of Christian missions. We're missionaries. You're missionaries in Albuquerque. I'm a missionary wherever I go. Wherever we are, we're to speak for Christ. The cults have grown to their present status today because we haven't done our homework. Do you know where they came from? 78% of the people that are today in the cults came out of the church. They're former Catholics, Orthodox, Baptists, Methodists, Lutherans, Episcopalians, Independents, Charismatics, Pentecostals. John says they went out from us, but they were not out of us. If they're of us, they would no doubt have remained with us. They left us. That it may be made clear they're not all of us. Some people think that the end of the ages began when Hal Lindsey wrote The Late Great Planet Earth. Hal's a good friend of mine. Sorry about that. The end of the ages began almost 2,000 years ago. 
First John chapter 1. Little children, it is the last times. You have heard the Antichrist will come. Even now there are many Antichrists. We know it is the last times. That was written 19 centuries ago. We have been 1900 years into the approaching advent of Jesus Christ. And we are on the precipice of cosmic judgment. And judgment will begin at the house of the Lord. It's going to begin with us. And God is going to ask us what we did with the lives we lived in the flesh after we became Christians. God's going to ask us about the things we knew we should have done, we omitted doing. And the things that we were forbidden to do that we did. There is the sin of omission and the sin of commission. The sin of omission can send you to hell as fast as the sin of commission. You don't have to reject Jesus Christ to go to hell. All you have to do is neglect Him. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The judgment, Peter says, will begin with us. And the scripture says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But you don't hear the preaching of cosmic judgment. You don't hear that God will judge His people. Instead, we are absorbed with so much positivity, we have forgotten that judgment is God's ultimate prerogative. It will take place. Thomas Jefferson said it, and he wasn't even a Christian. Quote, I tremble for my nation, for I know that God is just and that His judgment will come eventually. If he knew that and he was a deist, how about us? We're Christians. We should know. And we should be redeeming the time. The days are evil. What I'm saying may offend some people. What I'm saying may sound abrasive and hostile. I want you to know that I've prayed about it. And I've prayed about what you might think of it. And I don't care. Because I have to answer to Jesus Christ. So does Skip. So does every minister of the gospel. I'm going to have to answer to Christ. Our judgment's far worse than yours. Because if God puts us in a position of leadership in the church and ordains us to fulfill specific things for Him, and if we neglect to do those things, if we neglect to tell you the truth, no matter how unpleasant it may be, if we neglect to exhort you to holiness, if we neglect to remind you of the judgment of God, if we neglect to exhort you to reprove and rebuke and exhort with patience and teaching, if we neglect it, James says we receive greater condemnation from God. That is why it's so imperative that we face the kingdom of the cults. Tomorrow night, I'm going to teach you how to witness to Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm going to teach you how to get through all the watchtower vocabulary right to the heart of their theology in less than five minutes. And I'm going to teach you how to shut a Jehovah's Witness up, which is worth the whole evening. <laughs> the night after, I'm going to teach you how to deal with the Mormon missionary that pedals to your door. How to deal with standard Mormon arguments. 
and how to cut through the maze of Mormonism to the heart of its theology and confront Mormons with Jesus Christ, the real Jesus Christ, and plant some seeds that will bring forth fruit. And on Wednesday night, how to deal with the new cults, how to detect them, how to know what you're up against, and how as Christians to practically and positively approach them. This is the time of learning. This is not an evangelistic series. It's a teaching series. There are two kinds of students. Wherever you teach, you'll always find them. There are the sieve heads and the sponge heads. The sieve head goes to church, praise the Lord, glory to God, flips through the pages of their Bible, goes out and walks on air for a couple of hours, and two days later they couldn't tell you what they heard on Sunday morning if their lives depended on it. I used to flunk those people regularly in my college classes. Then there's a sponge head that brings a tape recorder, a marked Bible, a highlight pen, a notebook, and scribbles and scrounges and bugs and buzzes until they get everything down that they know they need, and then they go out and squeeze it out for the glory of God. This is sponge head time. If you're a sieve head, stay home and pray. If you're a sponge head, come. Get the information. Use it. Remember, the only stupid question is the one that's not asked. Nobody learns anything. Remember, teaching is the key to spiritual maturity. It is the meat of the word that feeds you, not the milk of evangelism. The milk of evangelism brings you to Christ, but you're supposed to grow and dig into the filet mignon of Holy Scripture and grow in the Word of God. So we're going to be in school the next three nights, not church. And we're going to be studying these things. And if you really want to know how you can do the job, I will teach you how to do it. You will have no excuses after those three nights. If you really want to make an impact on Albuquerque, I will show you how to do it. And they will detest you as heartily as they detest me. Now, let's remember that the most important and discouraging thing to the success of any endeavor like this is to take it for granted. Don't. Get into the scriptures. Write it down. Ask the questions. Get into the Word of God and God will honor your efforts. And He'll bless you and give you more cultists to witness to than you will ever dream possible. Because the moment you start to learn, you become aggressive. And the moment you learn that these people are vulnerable and they need Christ, you reach out for them. We're going to learn how to do that. In the words of a great old Episcopal hymn, I'm going to close this meeting tonight. Rise up, O men of God, have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and strength and mind. Serve the King of Kings. Rise up, O men of God, the church for you doth wait. Her strength unequal to her task. Rise up and make her great. He that has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit says to the church. Obey him. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen.
Shall we rise up? <laughs> Could I ask the worship group to come up for one final uh, time to end with a song? And may I remind you that um, there are books in the bookstore. We have cases of them, but I don't think they're going to last that long. So uh, there's books in the bookstore by Dr. Martin after the service. And every night this week uh, until Wednesday night after the service. Um, there are also cards in the foyer. Now, we're going to pass some more out tomorrow night, but there are cards and leaflets we'd like you to take. In fact, some people will be passing them out as you leave. You can get tracks from Christian Research Institute on how to witness to the cults, a lot of free tracks. You can get a magazine sent to you. And so we want you to take those as you leave. And um, also reminding you that we need help uh, the rest of the evenings. Now, after hearing this tonight, you think, I don't want to help in the nursery. You know, I want to be in on it. And yet, if no one's helping in the nursery, a lot of us can't be in on it. Because a lot of people have kids. So we appreciate sensitivity in that area. There's a sign-up sheet. Please respond to that. <laughs>